Hey, I'm Dasha and Leslie. Welcome back to Nonstop Politics. Hope I find you well. Today, I thought I would have a bit of a catch up with you on the podcast. It's been a while since my last episode. A lot of stuff has happened over the last couple of months. I thought I'd just check in and just go through a few updates about things happening with the podcast itself and in the wider world of politics. The first thing is a brand new thing that I'm trying out over on the Nonstop Politics YouTube channel. So make sure you subscribe to that if you haven't already because I am doing brand new videos called Shorts, which is essentially a new feature that YouTube has come out with where you can upload 60 second virtual video. Now, the reception to this has actually been really, really positive so far, and the views on these Shorts are just absolutely crazy. So I've been doing stuff um, on Nicola Sturgeon, the investigation that she faced over the Alex Salmond probe, I've done some stuff on the mayoral election, how to cast a ballot in that, the London mayoral election, how to register to vote in the 2021 local elections. I've done a short on Piers Morgan leaving Good Morning Britain over Meghan Markle, which is just in our wild story of itself, and quite a few other things on top. So make sure you subscribe to the Nonstop Policy YouTube channel so you can see those shorts, which I found to be really, really good for being able to instantly react to the big stories happening. The views I'm getting are just crazy. I think one of Nicholas Sturgeon had about 900 views. Another one had about 700 views. I had about 200 views one on the London mayoral election, which is quite wild and just incredible. So in terms of what's happening in the political landscape, quite a lot has been going on over the last couple of months. First things first, then we have to talk about the vaccine bounce for the Conservatives here in the UK. This is quite extraordinary. Now, of course, many people have been very critical about the government's handling of the coronavirus pandemic in 2020. But in 2021, Boris Johnson and his government seem to have actually got their act together and they seem to have learnt the lessons of 2020, right? And the biggest demonstration of this, actually two big demonstrations of this, first of all is in the vaccine rollout. The best rollout in Europe by far. The other thing is the roadmap. Let's hit the vaccine rollout first. So I think at the time of recording this episode, the UK has given out 32 million first doses and nearly 8 million second doses. So 8 million people fully vaccinated, 32 million people with a first dose and with a high level of protection. And those are people who are aged 50 and over. And it's also people who are over 16 with underlying health conditions as well. Now, we currently are using the Pfizer vaccine and the AstraZeneca vaccine. Under 50s like myself have to wait quite a bit longer for our jabs because of course, uh, the government is following the JCVI priority groups, which means that we're protecting the most vulnerable groups in society first, but that's absolutely fine. A bit of a slowdown in the vaccine rollout in April because of supply issues with AstraZeneca. So April is second dose month. And so we've gone from about 2 million second doses to 7 million in the space of about a week or two, which is just crazy. The jump that we've seen in second doses is remarkable and it's really, really reassuring that more and more people are getting that full protection that they need, especially as the UK has been spacing out the doses at 12 weeks instead of three or four, uh, like most other countries have been doing. But the efficacy, especially for the Oxford vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine, is actually greater at 12 weeks. So we're doing a really, really good job on that front. And I am absolutely itching to get the call or the text or the letter to say that I can get my vaccine and 
Now I know for a fact that I will be getting, definitely for sure, either the Pfizer, the Moderna, the Johnson Johnson vaccine, or Novavax when it comes. I will not be receiving the AstraZeneca vaccine because there's been some safety concerns about the AZ jab. Reports of blood clots in about 79 people in the UK, and several of those people died. The risk is still vanishingly rare, though. That's the main thing to remember. But the MHRA, who is our regulator, the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Authority, they and the JCVI, the Joint Committee on Vaccination Immunisation, have recommended that the AstraZeneca vaccine is not given to people under 30, which is my age bracket. So I will not be getting the AstraZeneca vaccine. I'll be getting an alternative because they think that the risk is slightly higher in younger people. If you have very low COVID cases, then the risk-benefit of getting the AstraZeneca vaccine, you have a higher risk of getting blood clots rather than if you didn't get the vaccine in a situation with low COVID cases. I hope I explained that correctly. If not, just go and watch Jonathan Van Tam's press conference. He explains it perfectly. Hopefully, all adults in the UK will have a jab by the end of July, a first dose by the end of July. Hopefully, the Johnson Johnson... Uh, known as Janssen in Europe, the one-shot wonder. Hopefully that comes on stream very soon, and then that will speed things up much quicker, but there's also Novavax on the way. Moderna has arrived in the UK now. That's being distributed, so we are absolutely full steam ahead, and that's going really, really well. So we'll see how that continues, and hopefully we don't have too many more bumps in the road on the vaccine front. Linked to that is the government's roadmap for easing the lockdown. A source of quite a lot of controversy, actually, among some conservative backbenchers who want this thing to be sped up. They look at the vaccine rollout, they look at the success we've had in getting case numbers down, the lockdown that's happened over the last few months, and they say, hang on a second, why do we need to wait till June 21st to lift all legal limits on social contact? Why do we have to wait five weeks between each step? To which the Prime Minister and the Chief Doctor and the Chief Scientist would say, hang on a second, we need to give five weeks between each step so we can look at the data for how the easing of the lockdown has impacted on cases, right? We relax restrictions on the 8th of March, schools open. We look at the data, we see not much of a rise in cases. There was a little bit of a spike in cases, a little bit of a rise, but nothing too concerning to stop the rollout. 29th of March, stay-at-home order lifts. That's not going to really do much to the R number. It was only like you could meet someone outdoors, rule of six came back. That's all outdoors. That's not going to have much of an impact. 12th of April now, non-essential retail's open, outdoor hospitality is open. So we're going to look now at the data. The scientists will, not me. The scientists will look at the data um, for the next four weeks. They'll look at the data. Is there a spike in cases? What's the situation like? And then in four weeks' time, the Prime Minister will make a decision on the basis of the advice from the scientists about whether to proceed with step three on May 17th, which will be indoor hospitality, indoor gatherings and that kind of thing, possibly even international travel, although that's um, looking a bit shaky at the moment. But you've got to have the five-week gaps in between to be able to look at the data and make sure that what you're doing next is not going to have too much of an impact on R. So yes, it's quite frustrating that we have to wait this long, but I think the government has it absolutely spot on when they're looking at the data. They're saying they not dates. Really, it is you know, dates that are leading this, but the dates actually come from the data because you're giving enough time to manage the data, look at the data and see what it shows. So the easing of lockdown is going very well. The Prime Minister wants it to be irreversible and 
fingers, fingers, fingers crossed it is irreversible and we don't have to have another lockdown again. So we'll see how that pans out. And all of this combined has produced a bit of a bounce for the Conservatives in the opinion polls. Keir Starmer has just celebrated one year as leader of the Labour Party. His poll numbers have actually gone down slightly in recent months. Many people accusing him of being indecisive, not standing for anything, and blah, 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 blah. Not opposing the government on anything, blah, 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 blah. That's the, that's the criticism that I hate the most. People say Keir Starmer doesn't oppose the government enough. Well, what do you expect him to do? Do you expect him to oppose the government on the stay-at-home order? Oppose the government on the lockdown? What do you want him to do? Tell people, hey, don't stay at home. Go outside and hug your family. Go outside and do this. Forget social distancing. Don't wear masks. Is that what you want them to do to oppose the government? Come on. Let's be let's be sensible here. Let's be let's be let's be sensible, right? National crisis. Starmer's in a very difficult position. I explained in the last episode of the podcast. He's focused on constructive opposition, supporting the government where necessary, holding their feet to fire where they're making actual missteps, right? So let's be sensible, level-headed, okay? He's doing a good job. He's competent, he's smart, he's a lawyer. Let's wait and see how it pans out. Let's give him time to set out his own store. We're still in a pandemic. Give him some breathing space. If the polls are still bad in a couple of years' time, then we can start asking questions as to why that may be. The local elections across England, Scotland and Wales are also coming up. Polling day will be on Thursday the 6th of May between 7am and 10pm. We've got elections to the London Assembly, election of London Mayor and several other mayoralties across England. We've got elections to the Scottish Parliament and elections to the Welsh Parliament as well. And so very interesting to see how they all pan out. Of course, the SNP, Nicola Sturgeon, desperately wants a majority in this election for her mandate for independence. A new complicating factor has come along though, Alex Salmond with his brand new Alaba party. So how is that going to pan out? Pro-independence, Alex Salmond wants people to vote in a specific way in this election because elections to the Scottish Parliament use a system called additional member system. You get two votes in the election to the Scottish Parliament. You get constituency vote, which is for the person that will represent you in your constituency. And you get a regional list vote, which is going to be um, for a party. And depending on the percentage of the vote, that is then allocated in terms of number of seats for that party. And so what the Alaba party is saying is essentially vote SNP for your constituency, because if there's no proportionality in that, the SNP are going to do quite well. But when it comes to the regional list seat, you need to vote for Alaba to make sure that you can get a super majority of pro-independence MSPs in the Scottish Parliament, which will then provide an even bigger mandate for independence and force Boris Johnson to give a referendum. Is that going to work? We'll have to wait and see. We'll have full analysis of that on the podcast later in May. But certainly, if Nicola Sturgeon does not win a majority of SNP MPs, which I think is what she wants, she wants the, an SNP majority not necessarily a pro-independence majority. I don't think that's what she's looking for. I think she specifically wants an SNP majority. I don't think she wants Alex Salmond as a thorn in her side for much longer moving forward. So how that pans out, we'll have to wait and see. In terms of the London mayoral election, it does look like Sadiq Khan is going to walk it, possibly even on the first ballot, which would be quite remarkable. First time ever that that would have happened. Not much opposition to him, really. Sean Bailey, nice guy, but... Not a very inspiring candidate. Said some dodgy things in the past. So 
We'll see what happens, but very unlikely that he's going to be elected. Sadiq Khan will serve a second term. Interesting thing about these elections this year, because they were delayed from last year, the winners of the 2021 local elections will serve three-year terms, and then we'll be back to the regular cycle in 2024. So that means, for example, the next election for London Mayor after this will be 2024. So Sadiq Khan will still serve the eight years, will just be broken up um, into a five-year term and a three-year term instead of two four-year terms because of the delay. And finally, to the US and President Biden, infrastructure is the new buzzword in Washington. The COVID relief bill passed a couple of months ago with no Republican votes in Congress, despite the fact that the majority of Republicans in the United States supported the bill. Make of that what you will. Now Biden has to get his infrastructure package through, split into two parts. The main part that he's working on now is, I think, over $2 trillion. He wants to spend over $2 trillion over the next decade or so but getting that passed is going to be fascinating mostly because there's a dispute right now between democrats and republicans about what the actual definition of infrastructure is if you ask a republican what infrastructure is they're going to tell you roads rail bridges that kind of thing if you ask democrats on the other hand if you ask the white house if you ask transport secretary Pete Buttigieg what infrastructure is they're going to tell you it's all these things like electric cars, stuff to do with climate change, it's to do um, with, you know, families and childcare and all these things. So there's a, quite a bit of a gap between the definition of infrastructure um, among Democrats and Republicans. So how they reconcile that is going to be very interesting. The other thing is how they're going to get it passed. The White House is talking up bipartisanship. The White House wants to pass it on a bipartisan basis, but I think that's a pipe dream. You've got Joe Manchin from West Virginia, the US Senator. He says he wants it on a bipartisan basis. And of course, his vote matters the most because it's a 50-50 Senate. Without Joe Manchin's vote, this thing is done on arrival. And he's made very clear he's not going to allow the Democrats to simply push this thing through reconciliation process, which is how they got the COVID relief bill passed. He wants a proper bipartisan negotiation with the Republican Party. He thinks that there are 10 Republicans that are willing to work on infrastructure. He thinks that there are 10 Republicans willing to work on other issues, such as voting rights and climate change and gun control. We'll have to see about that. I personally think that's a pipe dream. I think that if you have people in the Republican caucus who are Q people, who did not even think that Joe Biden was legitimately elected president of the United States, I'm not sure how you can work with those people Biden talked up bipartisanship in the campaign, but how can you work with a bunch of Q people who don't even think you were legitimately elected? These people refuse to call you president-elect in the aftermath of the election, and yet still you want to work with them. How does that make any sense? The mathematics doesn't add up there. So I'm not quite sure what Joe Manchin is thinking right now. I'm not quite sure why he's saying that. Well, actually, I know exactly why he's saying that. He's saying that because he comes from West Virginia, very conservative state, leans heavily Republican. He did win re-election there in 2018, bear in mind, um, but that was after voting for Brett Kavanaugh to be on the Supreme Court. He kept his seat. It's going to get much more difficult for Joe Manchin to keep his seat as a Democrat in West Virginia. So he's probably thinking to himself, I've got to act as something of a, as a stopgap here to these big radical policies like voting rights, for example, the For the People Act, because if he allows all this to happen, 
there's a chance that he might get a backlash from conservative West Virginia and he might lose a seat when he's up for re-election in 2024. So that's exactly why he's doing it. But it's quite concerning that his one vote could derail Joe Biden's entire agenda. And Biden, for his part, actually does seem to be taking on a much more progressive agenda than many people expected. The pandemic, of course, is the reason for that. The era of big government is back. COVID relief bill was the first sign of that. Biden's trying to go big on infrastructure. The question, though, is will Joe Manchin effectively kill his entire agenda by not pledging to abolish the filibuster? The filibuster is a whole other conversation that we can have. Not going to have it today, but my God. These are all very important questions that are going to have to be answered very, very soon. And so we'll just have to wait and see how that all pans out. But certainly, Biden's getting off to an incredible start as president. The vaccine program in the United States is just, he's, I mean, he's crushing it. I mean, in the US, they've got Pfizer, Moderna and Johnson & Johnson, and they're just killing it over there. And in fact, by the 19th of April, every American adult who wants a vaccine will be able to get their place in line for a vaccine, which is absolutely incredible. They're getting ahead of the UK now. Biden's completely in control of the vaccine rollout. Cases are beginning to rise a little bit in the US, but overall, the pandemic looks to be in good hands over there. So it's fair to say that across the UK and the US, our pandemic prospects are looking better than ever. More people getting their vaccine doses than ever. We've got lockdowns beginning to ease and life slowly getting back to normal. And hopefully this is how it's going to be moving forward. Thank you for listening to Nonstop Politics. If you enjoyed, why not follow us on Instagram at Nonstop Politics? And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.